Good morning, church. Um, allow me to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are such privileged to be studying your word, to be having your word at our disposal. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace, saving us from sin, from death. You brought us from death to life, and you grafted us into your kingdom. You made us um, priests to our God. We are very grateful, O Lord, um, for your work in our hearts, all of us, even the work that you shall do in our hearts today. Heavenly Father, I pray for the hearers of the word that their hearts may be disturbed, may be moved by the word and that they may be convicted by your word and come to repentance of any sin that they're carrying around. Oh Lord, I also pray that you help me articulate your message um, with faithfulness to scripture. Help me, Lord, share my understandings, the things that you have uh, sovereignly allowed me to uh, understand that they may be um, understood by others. Help us this morning, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, I'm a different type of uh, speaker. Uh, I'm not like Pastor Joe, who's very, you know, energetic. So I I would ask you to bear with me as I... Uh, share <laughs> and if you and if you feel sleepy anytime just feel free to stand up don't sleep um, the message that I'm about to share it's one message that really convicted me as I was preparing it's also one of the messages that uh, or one of the sermons I have taken long in preparing uh, I literally spent the whole day just trying to understand this whole um, teaching. Um, So there have been a a lot of changes from what I had intended initially to to, uh, share with you. So my first intention was that uh, the title would be uh, the universe or the view of the universe or the universe according to Genesis 1. And uh, as I was preparing I ended up finding out that uh, doing the whole chapter was going to be difficult. Genesis, you could write a 2,000-page two, book from Genesis 1 only. And as, as I was studying, I was just on Genesis 1, and I couldn't leave Genesis 1. So uh, some of us, we are used to having sermons of the full chapter or just uh, you know a couple of verses, but I would want us to, today to spend time on this one verse that a lot of us grew up knowing from childhood. Genesis 1 verse 1. I'm sure many of us today we can recite Genesis 1 verse 1 from the top of, of our minds. So when we read Genesis 1 verse 1, the phrasing of Genesis 1 verse 1 sounds very simple. 
it sounds like it's it's just you know basic and it's easy to understand what it says but yet it is like a riddle that conceals so much doctrinal truth that will leave our mouths open in amazement i don't know if you have ever tried to spend time in in reading genesis one verse one alone and just ponder on what it's what what it means what it's talking about so um today i shall try my best to unlock what Genesis 1 verse 1 says and you shall be amazed by the amount of truth that comes out of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. So my attempt uh, through this teaching is to try to rectify our view of God. This is the whole center or the 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 main focus of this verse, we can get to understand God just by reading from um, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 alone. And I pray that this message will <coughs> leave us with uh, a better understanding or uh, a much more grander view of our God. So as I was planning this sermon, uh, what came to my mind was Psalm chapter 104 verse 27. Which says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And if you read the whole of Psalm 104, it's a psalm of... The psalmist was pondering, was meditating on what he was seeing around himself. The amazement or the, the, uh, yeah, the multitude of his environment. He sees... The work of God around him, and he's just amazed by what he sees. And I've been so uh, for so long um, trying or to under, trying to understand the story of Genesis chapter one. It's one of my favorite stories. So I'd like to just uh, read for you a quotation from uh, Matthew Henry. He says that the azure sky and verdant earth are charming to the eye of the curious spectator. Much more the ornaments of both. How transcendent then must the beauty of the Creator be? Basically, we look at the world around us, we are so amazed. And then he was, he's just asking himself, how much more is the Creator himself, the maker of this universe? So I'm just going to give you now just a basic overview of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, before we dive into our scripture. Genesis chapter 1, the, the whole um, overview. So, Genesis chapter 1 is a story of the beginning of space, time, matter, and energy universe. The beginning of beginnings. So, basically, space itself and every matter that is suspended in space which are all bound in time and are fueled by energy, began on that very point of creation. We're talking about everything that is known today that exists, that we see, that we feel. It began from the point of creation, which is highlighted in Genesis chapter 1. Secondly, Genesis only supports a creation date not earlier than 10,000 years ago. It's proposed by some scientists. People came up with millions of years, billions of, of years. In fact, um, 
a famous Irish bishop of the 17th century, James Asher, suggested a creation the year of 14, uh, 4004 BC, um, and which when added to 2023, the year we're in right now, which uh, we get precisely 6,027 years. And just before you think that maybe it's just speculation, he was trying as much as he can to be, to be faithful, using the scripture alone to understand how old this universe was. And scripture did not leave that part untouched. So we could just approximate plus or minus 6,000 years. This is how amazing this universe is. And number three, the whole universe was created in six 24-hour days. And scripture begs itself in this. We open uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, which says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. There is no need for further explanation on that. The Bible supports itself. So as we are going through Genesis 1 verse 1, like I said, I'm just going to spend time on this verse alone. We are going to learn about four things. The four things that we are going to discover from Genesis 1, chapter 1 verse 1 is number one, the eternal God, which is who is perceived by his existence outside of time and is not bound by its laws. Genesis 1 verse 1 introduces us to the eternal God. Number two, it introduces us to the triune God. The full Godhead is mentioned just in this verse. And number three, it introduces us to the omnipotent or all-powerful God, the only being that is ever been able to create something out of nothing and number four lastly the om, uh, the omniscient god or the all-knowing god the only being who has such infinite knowledge and intelligence to create something as complex as this universe just in genesis chapter 1 verse 1 alone we'll see these things so the first thing that we meet in genesis chapter 1 verse 1 as it reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, who existed outside of time and is not bound by its laws, created everything bound by it, and including time itself. And this all began on its first kick. So... We see God outside of time creating uh, this universe which is bound by time itself. And we should understand that it is, it is very much, it is so impossible for this universe to have made itself as some scientists suggest. Just as a cup cannot make itself or a building cannot build itself. This world could have never or this universe would uh, not be able or would not build itself. It's impossible. It only makes sense if we consider God. So when we look at this whole universe, it is, um, it is evidence of an eternal creator. So basically God exists um, 
eternally and in his eternity decides to create the universe and bound it by the laws of physics that he himself is not bound by. This is what's happening. So we see an eternal God outside of time creating this universe. To understand the eternity of God, we don't need to go any further. We need to look at what he says about himself as an eternal God. We know that God is so eternal that he, um, that the only helping verb that he used to refer to himself is I am. If he would use the word was or I was or I, I, I will, that would bind him with time. But God introduces himself in scripture as I am that I am. Let us open Exodus chapter 3 verse 13 to 15. Exodus chapter 3 verse 13 to 15. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you, and they ask, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I just need you to just take time in thinking about that. Why would God call himself I am? Because he is outside of time. Anything that you would use to refer to time, that he was or he will be, cannot apply to him. But only I am because he is the God who is ever present. We jump over to John chapter 8 verse 52 to 59. John chapter 8 verse 52 to 59. This is the story of Jesus when he was being questioned by um, the Jews. Verse 52. The Jews say to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word... He will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews say to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Actually, the Jews in this time understood what this really means. I am. Mind you, they've been taught that you shall call the, you shall call God by his name, I am. That was in the law of Moses. 
and Jesus going to them and telling them that before Abraham was, I am. Basically saying, I am God. And that's why they wanted to, to, to uh, stone him to death. We also need to even understand that the psalmist understood um, God's eternity. We read from Psalm chapter 90 verse 2 that before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Again, using the first, um, the, 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 the present um, helping verb to refer to God. You are God. God remains uh, as he is forever and ever. So therefore, I am, I am created this universe while he is already in existence. I am, or God Almighty, created this universe while he is already in existence. This is confusing grammar, but it's, it's, that's what it is. Only if we take God outside of this universe, we can have an understanding of his eternal attribute. We need to take God out of time, out of space, out of uh, matter, out of energy. And then we understand that God exists forever. He is eternal. This is the God we see in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Number two, we meet the triune God. Again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How do we see the triune God? It's not specifically mentioned is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to just bear with me as we explore the technicality in the phrase and even the grammar that's used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. The word used for God in this verse is the word Elohim in the ancient um, Hebrew. The word Elohim. And this word Elohim is a, is a plural word that's used as if it were singular. I don't know if you're getting it. It's a plural word. That means it's referring to many. But when it's used, it's used as if it's referring to one. This is Moses understanding the triune God even from the first verse of the book, the first book he wrote. Basically, it's Referring, for example, girls is plural, but when you use girls as one, basically you replace are with is to say this girl, this girl's is it's clever or something. This girl's is uh, smart. This is how it's used here. Um, it's plural, referring to not one person but three persons, but used as a singular, basically saying. In the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created heavens and the earth. And yes, it was the triune God who existed eternally and were there in the beginning. They are all I am. God the Father is I am, God the Son is I am, and God the Spirit is I am. They are I am. They are one God, three persons. 
And then if, if we go further, in verse 2, it reveals now explicitly the involvement of God the Holy Spirit in creation. When he says the earth was without form and void and the Spirit of God was, over, was hovering over the face of the deep. And if you read further in scripture, we see the apostles putting Christ back to the day of creation. That nothing was made, nothing was made, that was like, yeah, nothing was made, was made apart from him. He was there in the beginning, he made um, the universe. John chapter 1 verse 1, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the world, uh, he was with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ in the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 reveals to us the triune God. Amen. Number three, we meet the all-powerful God or the omnipotent God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we see the power of God being displayed in Him, creating the universe out of nothing, which no one else has ever been able to do. And people are still amazed by how possible it is. Is, is it possible for anyone to do this? He created the heavens and the earth, and up to date, no human has ever been able to really understand how it's possible. And also what's amazing is the amount of work that God did in six days. Not even a hundred billion men are able to do if they were given infinite number of years to do it. God made this complex universe in six days. Just six days. And you know the most comforting thing is this all-powerful God, or this omnipotent God, is the God we worship today. He is the God who gave us salvation. And when we think about it, we should see no reason why we should be afraid of anything. Just, just think about the God we worship. Think about Him. You will not be afraid of anything. So if God fixed all creation in its place, that nothing can move them, how much more of our salvation, justification, redemption, and our fellowship with him? He has fixated everything. Amen. I'm going to read for you another quote from Matthew Henry, and I would want you to pay attention as well. It's, it's very encouraging. The manner in which this work was affected. God created it, that is, made it out of nothing. There was not any pre-existent matter out of which the world was produced. The fish and the fowl were indeed produced out of the waters, and the beasts and men out of the earth, but that earth and those waters were made out of nothing. By the ordinary power of nature, it is impossible that anything should be made out of nothing. No artificer can work unless he has something to work on. But by the almighty power of God, 
it is not only possible that something should be made of nothing, the God of nature is not subject to the laws of nature, but in the creation it is impossible it should be otherwise. For nothing is more injurious um, to the honor of the eternal mind than the supposition of eternal matter. Thus the excellency of the power of the power is of God and all the glory is to him. Amen. I'm just going to read for, for you something very um, mind-blowing so you understand that this thing we're talking about was truly done in six days. And when you think about that amount of work that was done or the vastness of the work that was done in six days, and it's just difficult to wrap our minds around it. So this is um, just something I quoted from EnduringWord.com. It says, a typical galaxy contains billions of individual stars. Our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, contains 200 billion stars. This is 200 billion stars apart from planets. Our galaxy is shaped like a giant spiral, rotating in space, with arms reaching out like a pinwheel. And our sun is one star on one arm of the pinwheel. So we're talking of our sun, the one we're terrified of, is one star out of 200 billion stars in our galaxy. It will take 250 million years for the pinwheel to make one full rotation. But this is only our galaxy. There are many other galaxies with many other shapes, including spirals, spherical clusters, and flat pancakes. The average distance between one galaxy and another is about 20 million trillion miles. Our closest galaxy is the Andromeda galaxy, about 12 million trillion miles away from our galaxy. Who can travel that distance? No one can. But God made all that within six days. Actually, one thing that I, I found fascinating as I read on is... If you look at the sky, just a small patch of the sky, the size of the moon, probably if you can block the moon with your index finger, that small part, if you were to zoom further into that small part, you can be able to see about a million other stars. So think of how big the sky is. This was done in six days. This only shows that our God is an all-powerful God. Amen. And then lastly, we see the all-knowing God or the omniscient God. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God, according to Genesis 1 verse 1, is an intelligent designer. He created everything with the right measures. Nothing was short of perfection as we can observe in our world today. Everything looks perfect. And a little bit of something, or if you try to add to, to, to what was done, you might find chaos. If you try to subtract, it might also lead to chaos. And God created this universe and gave it enough resources to sustain it. Our earth has enough resources to sustain the whole population of this earth. 
the universe says just the right gravitational force or the gravity in this universe is just right uh, I was just studying that if it were larger the stars would be too hot and would burn up too quickly and too uneven to support life this is God did everything to the precise measure our gravity is enough for us and if that gravity was made smaller the stars would remain so cool nuclear fusion would, would never ignite and there would be no heat and light who in this world or even if you combine all the greatest <coughs> minds of this world would, would have been able to think about this and this was done in six days the universe is just the right speed of light and if it were larger stars would send out too much light and if it were smaller stars would not send out enough light it was just precise and the universe is just the right average distance between the stars if it were larger the heavy element density would be too thin for rocky planets to form and there would be only uh, there would only be uh, gaseous planets and if it were smaller planetary orbits would become destabilized because of the gravitational pull from the other stars. This is a little bit too nerdy, but it's not as much important. But just know that God created everything to the last detail. So, um, actually my sermon is very short, praise God. Um, I didn't have too much to say about this, but for us to really meditate on the greatness of God just from what we see in Genesis. And <clears throat> this God, the creator of the universe, with, with all this complete complexity, is the God who saved us. That's what we need to understand. Before we think about, okay, the stars, the trees, everything, let's think about the reason why we are here today. That the God we find in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, the, uh, the God, the creator, the eternal God, um, the triune God, uh, the all-powerful God, the all-knowing God, is the one who came to save us from our sins. And with all these divine attributes that he, he possessed, he chose to humble himself and die on the cross to save us from his wrath and from our own sins. This is the God who came on earth to walk on the world in the world that he made, on the earth that he made in six days. And he humbled himself even to death. One thing we should understand before we even undermine our own salvation is that we were not saved by an inferior God. We were saved by the eternal God, the all-powerful God, the triune God, the all-knowing God. We were saved by Elohim himself. He, he saved us. And we understand the involvement of the whole Godhead in our salvation. That God the Father sent his son to die for us. And he died for our sins in our place. And that salvation or the redemption or the, the work he did on the cross was applied to us by the Holy Spirit. That's why when we preach, we don't try to convince anyone. It is not our duty. But it is the Holy Spirit himself who applies the gospel to our hearts. 
the all-powerful God who is only able to save us from, him, from himself and gave us eternal life. The God we're talking about, he made this whole universe as terrifying as it is. And even his wrath was much grander. He's, he was angry at sinners. He was angry at us. And he is the only one who is able to um, save us from himself, from what he had planned to do with us. And the all-knowing God, the only God who can see what's in the heart of men and cannot be deceived by anyone, is the God who saves us. God created our hearts. He created our conscience. He sees through our conscience. He knows us inside out. Nothing that we have can we hide from Him. And even still, He wants to save us with all our iniquity, with all the burdens of sin that we carry. We cannot hide anything from Him. There's a, a famous saying that we are not far from grace. No one is far from grace. And this Jesus Christ, who is I am that I am, he chose to share his inheritance that he got from his father with us and has made us his brothers and sisters in his kingdom. Just try to imagine that God is just rich in everything. He made everything. It's his. He owns everything. This whole universe. Even everything that we cannot see. Everything that is yet to be discovered by mankind. He owns everything. Even some of the things that we'll never be able to discover. He owns them. And yet he was so kind to want to share his inheritance with us. To um, make us um, sons and daughters of God the Father. And we've seen this great God. We've seen this great God in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And all the terrifying work that he did. But if you are here and you have not known him and believed in him, be terrified of what he can do to you if you don't repent. We talk of the stars that we cannot even, you know, fly close to or burn and just burn to ashes. Think of what he can do to, to people who um, sin against him. Think of what he can do. So I would want us to conclude um, with, by reading Revelation chapter 19 from verse 15 to 16. And this God, the eternal God, the triune God, Elohim, I am that I am, the creator of this universe. God the Son, he has promised that he will come again and he will reveal himself in all his glory and power. He came the first time as a humble servant. He didn't want to display all his power. He was humble. But his second coming is going to be terrifying. All these things we're talking about, we shall see what he's capable of. Revelation chapter 19 verse 15 to 16 says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. 
He would tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus Christ. He will come again. The eternal God. So let us think about this as we, as we live our lives in this um, world. To always remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back in all his glory. With all power, the power that he possesses. He is coming to judge the, the nations. And if you are not found on the right side. If you are not found with Christ in you. If you do not... Uh, put on the robe if you're not wearing the robes that are not stained with sin or stained by sin if you're found in rebellion against him you will definitely rule with the rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God he will pour all his wrath on you so let us remember that and pray be on our knees and ask that the Lord may forgive us and repent from our sins and trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have heard your word. We pray, Lord, that this word may dwell in our hearts. Let this word not be like the word or the seed that, that fell uh, along the path and birds came to snatch it away let this word not be like the seeds thrown upon the rocks that um, <clears throat> there won't be enough soil for, for, for this word to, to, to uh, mature in our hearts let this, not, let this word not be uh, like the, the seas that were thrown among thorns. That as we leave this place, we get choked by the riches of this world. By the things of this world that we forget what's most important to us. We pray, Lord, that this word may um, produce in us a hundredfold. That it may turn our hearts to you. That it may turn our hearts from this world. That it may turn our hearts from um, the life of sin. And that we may live for you. And gladly anticipate and wait upon your second coming. And rejoice as we see you descending in all your glory. In all your power. Help us, Lord, live in this world without fear of your wrath because we know we are saved by you. I pray for um, all of us today that we uh, find time to meditate on this and think about this. Even those that are here that uh, might have not understood what salvation is, those that are here that might have not understood who you really are. Let them be um, stirred in their hearts to remember or to see you in all your greatness and majesty. And that they may be on their knees and plead with you to save them. 
lest they die. Lest you come back and they are found unprepared. Be with us this, the rest of this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.